Hello and welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's episode 155. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons, and as always, I'm joined by the life hacker himself, Mr. Mark Pearson. Friendly, good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, Mike. I can't possibly take any level of credit, though, with regards to life hacking as today's focus and topic with Mr. Tim Ferriss. I mean, Tim Ferriss is the man who I think we could probably mm. give him the title of uh, an individual who's really life hacked his way throughout his entire career. He has. He seen, it seems like everything is up for reconsideration. Everything is there to be hacked, tested, uh, experimented upon, including himself. Um, Tim Ferriss is just um, so moonshotty in that he will challenge assumptions and the status quo, and he'll come up with different ways to hack around any sort of optimization of oneself. Um, mm. He's totally moonshots, isn't he, Mark? He really, really is. And today's show, 155, Mike, we're digging into Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, which again was a hugely popular one, not only for you and I as we consider the way that we work, uh, both together as well as privately throughout our week, but also amongst our listeners. Fair to say, it's a pretty popular book for uh, readers and, and listeners around the world, isn't it? Yeah, I think if you're thinking about being the best version of yourself, if you're trying to uh, do something remarkable, then you might call upon remarkably different ways of getting it done. And there's no one else that does it better than Tim Ferriss. He uh, he came hot onto the scene with Four Hour Workweek, which we're going to study today. And he's just gone on to write many other successful books. Um, he has a very successful uh, podcast as well, YouTube channel. Uh, he is a sort of the ultimate sort of uh, media magnate of 2021, isn't he, Mark? Yeah, he's he's really carved out a specific space in the industry, I believe, where he's focused on learning from individuals. So he speaks to these, these titans of industries. He gets their, their tips and recommendations and he puts them into practice. Okay, so what worked for so-and-so? Right, I'm going to try it for five weeks. Let's see whether all the fuss is worth it or not. So mm. he's kind of like a human guinea pig for us, isn't he? <laughs> He'll go through and totally. test some practical uh, advice and methods in order to try and be the best version of himself. And it's great for us and our listeners to be able to study Tim Ferriss and the work that he does in order to see what sticks and what doesn't. Yeah, I, I think that um, on a broad level, we can take from Tim's work in the four-hour work week that this was his very radical approach to rethinking how we work, which is something a lot of us spend a great deal of our lives doing. And um, it is so worth returning to for some of the practical techniques that he talks about. He gives us lots of ways to, um, you know, create experiments, um, to hack away at different parts of your life to get better outcomes, challenging some assumptions. But I think more broadly, what is so special about this book and why it's still so important is that it really, it's a sort of an awakening, this book. It's like, hang on, everybody does a 40 hour work week. And Tim's like, no, it can be four hours. And so in, in doing that, it's like a mental workout. It's like, you can rethink things. Don't take things for granted. Don't just accept the common assumptions around you, but rather you can challenge the world that you exist in and you can get these, you can get these sort of outperformance results by just thinking differently. So he's, he's almost got that little bit of Steve Jobs, that sort of think different vibe, which is very cool and very moonshots. Mark, I can't think of many authors that I could say are more moonshotty than Tim Ferriss. Yeah, Tim Ferriss really does go out and do what a lot of us only dream of doing. Mm. And by him writing these books, doing his podcasts, his YouTube, he's able to you know, bring us those secrets and bring them into uh, practical pieces of information that you and I and our listeners can kind of consume and pick up some piece of advice and then go out and, and put into action. So he's, he's a real moonshotter 
uh, for all of us, he's the one who breaks things down into really, really simple to replicate processes. Absolutely. So with that all being said, I think it's time to test and learn. So let's jump into the world of Tim Ferriss and the four-hour work week. I think there's a lot to learn from this first clip, Mike, of Tim Ferriss reflecting back, looking back at his career, back at when he was in college. And one of the first and I'd say most important lessons that any of us can learn. So no better (laughs) intro in my mind is hearing from Tim himself uh, and how we can condition ourselves for failure. So my story starts with an audiobook. It was my first product. I was convinced this was in uh, college that it would be my ticket to millions of dollars and changing the world. And it was designed for uh, guidance counselors in high school who wanted to help students get into their first choice colleges. Spent ages putting this thing together, spent all of my money uh, buying up inventory, an initial run of about 400 copies, and it sold a grand total of one copy to my mother. Not a one was legitimately sold. And it's because I wasn't thinking as my market, I was thinking of my market. In other words, I wasn't writing for a target market that I belonged to. And that was a mistake. So I learned two things from that. Number one, think as your market, not of your market. And number two is that you should design your product after you know what your market is, okay? So you find your market and then design a product for them. That's what I did with the four hour work week. And even though it was turned down by 26 out of 27 publishers before it was sold, I was confident because I tested it and I had done it very cheaply. So on Google AdWords, for example, I tested the title, the four hour work week with about a dozen others. And this is how it worked. I bid on terms such as retirement, world travel, content related to the content in the book. And then when people search that on Google on the right hand side with the sponsored results, you would see ads that had the headlines, the perspective headlines as the ad titles, and then the perspective subtitles as the ad text. And it led to an empty page under construction page, but Google mixed and matched the titles and the subtitles. So for less than $200, I could see which combination of title and subtitle had the highest click-through rate. Uh, And the four-hour work week, as much of a blessing and a curse as it is, ended up being the title that won, as did the subtitle that we used. So what I learned is through that and through all of my experiences up to this point is that you need to fail and learn how to fail, condition yourself to fail, but in very small, reversible ways. And I think that uh, what a friend of mine, Joe Sugarman, said, he's one of the highest paid copywriters on the planet, and that that is for every problem, uh, the problem itself presents an opportunity that dwarfs the problem. And that is to say that if I had only looked at my failure with the audiobook and viewed it as a failure in the product, let's say, and not in the process, I wouldn't have taken away much. Instead, I realized that my approach wasn't right, fixed my approach, and that has led to a lot of great successes. Ooh, you know, so good, Mark. It is so good to hear people talking frankly about failure. I mean, failure is something that we are always so reluctant to admit to, let alone talk about. I find it, I mean, just off the bat, how good is that? He's like, I literally printed 400 books and apart from the one my mum bought, not a <laughs> single one was so it reminds me so much of Eric Reese admitting uh, when he created Lean Startup um, as an idea and as a book. He spent four years building a product that nobody wanted. So he spent his career now helping others avoid that same problem. Don't you find it when we listen to Tim Ferriss and hear him say, wow, I really failed, but... I was capable of evaluating and changing the approach, not just saying, okay, it was a dud, Mm. but the fact that he said, okay, so I changed my approach and then success came, but it started with conditioning, conditioning himself uh, and admitting to himself that he failed. And then he's kind of learned to take much more discreet, smaller, reversible risks, but it all started with what a flop. (laughs) I love that. Don't you? Yeah, I, I really do. And just to build on that, it's almost once you admit 
that the difficulty, the desirable difficulty, as some of our right. recent uh, moonshotters would, would, would describe it as, once you admit or are open to the fact that a desirable difficulty and a challenge is an opportunity to learn, and actually, mm. as, as Tim's um, copywriter friend calls it, an opportunity that dwarfs the problem, only then can you have that confidence or maybe that clarity to look back and see them as small moments that you can um, learn from. And I love this idea mm. of fail in reversible ways. Fail often, fail quickly, learn from them, test and learn, and go out and do it better. You know, as a, a, a perfect career lesson for Tim to have gone through it at an early age and then realized it's so valuable. And it's still something mm. we can all learn from um, as we get older and through our careers. The idea that if it doesn't work, hey, that's cool. Put your hands up and, and we can, you can learn from it. Just see it as an opportunity rather than a, um, a disappointment, perhaps. It's yes, so or, or, or what he said, Mark, is don't just walk away from it and say, well, that was a crap book. I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. did the reverse. He said, I'm going to do it again, but I'm just going to change how, how I go at it. Um, and, and so there's, there's this uh, little tip he's giving us, like take much smaller discrete experiments and tests um, so you don't go through this entire linear process and have a big failure at the end, like test and learn through the journey and you'll get there. And, and it can be, the test and learn piece can be cheap and easy. You know, the mm-hmm. technique that he's describing, even though it, it might sound difficult to some of us, actually, I think it's pretty, pretty straightforward, you know, doing it under 200 bucks. And what's it, what was the output? One of the uh, most well-known and popular podcasters, as well as, you know, entrepreneurs and authors. The best-selling book. I mean, I mean right? num- number one on the New York Times bestseller, right? Boom. It's, it's undeniable. All for a quick test and learn process that maybe took him a weekend, a couple hundred bucks. I mean, talk about value. <laughs> exactly. Because he had that emergent discovery, that curiosity, taking these small, small experiments after he admitted he had failed, but then reevaluated the process. And I think this really sets up the show ahead of us today. I think what we see is um, Tim's thinking is confronting us with, are we doing things in the right way? How are we going about the things we do? So ahead of us on this show, we've got all sorts of um, goodies. We've got some thoughts around um, making priorities, how to think, use, and protect yourself from information, um, how to think about your time and evaluate it and where you spend it, and uh, identifying the things uh, that mean the most and that um, all kind of comes together with some thinking around big picture-wise the real need that we still have, even though this book is over 10 years old, we still have this fundamental requirement to kind of reset how we spend our time. And that's all ahead of us, Mark. Uh, we've got a bevy of clips. It's, uh, it's, it's actually a really nice uh, step change uh, from, say, Gladwell and Adam Grant and some of the other authors, isn't it? It really is. And look, I loved the Gladwell series and I'm a big fan of, of Adam Grant, all the series and the books that we covered. But actually, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to dig into to Tim Ferriss. I think as, mm. a, as an observation, he's pretty, it's quite practical. You know, we, we learned a lot from Glad, Malcolm Gladwell as well as Adam Grant and there's a lot of data, which I know you and I, we love to get into and we love to mm-hmm. pull apart and see the insights that they're, they're both saying. When you think about the Tim series, I think we're going to learn a lot of practical elements, practical tips. I think that's where yes. Tim Ferriss really comes into his own. Yes. Um, now, before we get into a bevy of Tim Ferriss clips and really un, uh, unlocking the all the insights that are in the four-hour work week, Mark, I, I want to ask you one thing. If our listeners are spending their time on one action, we have one small ask of them as they're listening right now. Um, what is that one ask that we would love them to do to help spread the word about our show and how to share this, uh, this thinking out loud and this learning out loud? What's the one thing we ask of them? 
We'd love you listeners just to pop into your podcasting app of choice and leave us a quick review. Like Mike's saying, we love it hearing from our listeners, seeing our show that we, um, that we love doing and we love sharing with all of our listeners every week. We like seeing it appearing in charts around the world. And it's all down to you, dear listeners. And it's all down to the way that you're sharing it, the way that you're reviewing it and rating it. That's how we get into different markets and see ourselves uh, spiking with new listeners. And the idea of getting our show into the ears <laughs> and onto the speakers <clears throat> of, of listeners around the world gives us such joy and inspiration. So our one request to you all listening, leave us a rating and review and help spread the word. Yeah. So right now, just while, while we get this next clip ready to go, just jump into your podcasting app. And I mean, at, at worst, at, at least just give us a rating, uh, whatever it is. Um, and, uh, you know, consider leaving us your thoughts and reviews. Um, what's been fantastic is, uh, over the last week, folks in Slovakia and Bulgaria have given us ratings and reviews. And so we're seeing a huge growth in listeners there and not to uh, forget that we have listeners all around the world. Uh, Germany, France, Sweden, Spain, Brazil, Russia, Norway, Ireland. This is so cool that we can all learn out loud together. And we ask only one thing of you. We'll put in the work. We'll make the show. If you get out there, leave those ratings and reviews so we can share this work with more people who are on a mission to be the best version of themselves that they can be. And I think one of the first things that Tim Ferriss can help us with is if we want to be the best version of ourselves, it's all about making good decisions and how to eliminate the things that don't matter and focus on the things that do. So let's have a listen to Tim Ferriss talking about Pareto's Law. Here are a few simple steps you can take to escape the rat race entirely, not just win it. One of the first steps is the process of elimination. So to start, you need to consider something called Pareto's Law, more commonly known as the 80-20 principle. Because in order to work less and not have everything fall apart, you'll have to quantify the 20% of activities that are producing 80% of your desired outcomes. Also, take that time to determine the 20% of activities and people who are consuming 80% of your time. Use this principle for everything. Customers, work tasks, but also for personal chores, even for friends. The goal here is twofold. Number one, to find your inefficiencies in order to eliminate them. And then secondly, and this is just as important, to find your strengths and those critical few tasks so you can multiply your output. Working every hour, every minute from 9 to 5 with some type of fidget isn't the goal. It's simply the structure most people use. It's actually a legacy from a time that has already been obsolesced. In a knowledge economy, the more important thing is to shift from presence to performance, cut out the static, all the things that consume time and income without contributing back, and focus on the critical few. You'll find that very few things matter. The critical few where only a few things matter. I mean, that's pretty confrontational. As a, as a, a man uh, myself who kind of sees any work stream that's coming across my desk or anything that I interact with during the day, I feel like it's a, almost a new priority. It's a new distraction, perhaps, as Tim Ferriss would call it. And this 80-20 this rule that we can dig into I feel it's, it's so valuable. Find those inefficiencies, find your strengths and make that balance. Multiply, um, in order to multiply your output, if you can find those, identify them and spend your time in the right way, manage your time in a better way, as Tim's telling us, it's going to be so much more valuable, so much more honest with you and your priorities, right? You know, so when I think about Pareto's Law, what I want to do, Mark, is I actually want to get you to share with us what your 80-20 really is. So if I ask you, uh, what's the 20% of the things that you do that create 80% of the value, right? Oh. Um, do, you, do you, I know it's tricky, right? Um, it's really hard. And I think this is, this is such a good exercise. 
what are a couple of things you think you do in your work um, that create the most value? I think the value that I can bring is when I'm, I think, connecting people. I think trying mm-hmm. to communicate or align channels of communication between different parties and trying to get us to the next stage. I think if I boil down the best moments where I'm adding Mm -hmm. value to a project, it is that communication piece. It's probably on the phone. Maybe it's face-to-face. Maybe it's interpreting what somebody wants and trying to turn it into an action. I think it's, it comes down to, for me, I think, communication. But actually, the, the conversely, the, the 80%, you know, oh, sorry, the rest of my time, I think gets kind of wasted. It's a lot of emails. It's a lot of back and forth. It's a lot of lack of clarity, isn't it? Yeah. So, so let's keep the experiment going. So we know that you're the super connector. What's the one thing that you do that doesn't create much value that you want to? And this is crucial to what we're learning from Tim Ferriss and 4-Hour Workweek is what should you eliminate? Oh, that's a, that's <laughs> a hard one. It's a hard one. Right. And I have, I have been thinking about it. And to be totally honest, I'm not sure whether I have the answer yet. <laughs> you know, I think, that's one, okay. I think one of the initial responses that I had after digging into the clips this week was, you know, emails. You know, mm. we all are overburdened with with emails, aren't we? And mm. I wonder how much of a a blocker that is to actually be more efficient with one's time. Mm. But again, here's the here's the challenge. Here's the um, I suppose the desirable difficulty that we've got to figure out. How do you eliminate something like emails in a world that you know is connected via instant messaging. You know, I know. Have partners, <laughs> partners all across the world. We have businesses and relationships on pretty much every time zone that we know. So you can't necessarily eliminate it. It's trying to find the way, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's the manner in which I interact with emails. Maybe that, maybe there's, maybe there's the lesson. Okay. So, so that's great. So you're, you're essentially saying what you want to eliminate is um, the not urgent and not important email. And, mm. and that's a job to do. But there you go. We've already got our first gift from Tim Ferriss, which is forcing us to use Pareto's law and ask ourselves, what's the thing that we do that creates the most value? And what's the thing that we do that doesn't create that value? Because you want to try and eliminate this. Now, I want to uh, suggest to you a follow-up tool which is really powerful when we think about um, how we spend our time. It's called the Eisenhower matrix. And what it says is the way you choose on what you want to work on right now in the here and now is you say what is important and what is urgent. And that's what you do right now. Now this Eisenhower matrix then says if it's important but not urgent, you should immediately plan the time in your diary to do it. Now, we're going to put a link in the show notes to the Eisenhower matrix uh, because it's really powerful. Now, if it is a non-urgent thing, um, you should obviously, uh, uh, sorry, if it's a not important thing, you should obviously delegate it to someone else who's better doing it. If it's neither urgent and not important, you just shouldn't do it at all. So this is the four quadrants of the Eisenhower matrix. It's so very powerful because we are often taking urgent things and dropping the important things, which is another way of saying there are opportunities for us to create enormous value, but we allow all of these day-to-day distractions getting in between and we never really get to it because I think that's what we're talking about here, isn't it, Mike? We just, there's so many things preventing us getting to the work we really want to do. Yeah, well, exactly. Nowadays, everything feels mm. like a priority. Everything that comes over your desk is right. a matter of, oh, we better sort this out straight away. But actually, the truth is, again, I, I love the Eisenhower Matrix. We've, we've mentioned it on the show before, actually. And 
it's a perfect tool to analyze the importance of something. Is it a priority? That's right. Do I need to schedule it or yeah. can I, can I reduce it? And I think that's mm-hmm. a wonderful, wonderful way of, of, of approaching that. It is. It really, really is. So there you got it. We've already got like a huge disruptive thought in our mind, which is to use Pareto's law to eliminate the things that don't create value and focus ourselves in the highest order of things. Where is our unique ability? Where is the thing we were born to do? Spend more time doing that and less time doing things that are neither important or urgent. Thank you, Mr. Ferris. And the good news uh, for all of us is we've got plenty more ideas, uh, disruptions for us. Where do we want to go now, Mark? We're digesting Pareto's law, but what should we follow it up with? I think building on the Eisenhower matrix and thinking about how much information comes across us, this next clip or this next you know, tip really from, from Tim Ferriss is all about information and the value of letting things wait. Another critical step and a real complement to elimination is what I call the low information diet or cultivating selective ignorance. Keeping abreast of all the new developments in any field will consume all of your time. It'll be all input and no output. You can't possibly digest all that information. So a more effective approach is to try to catch up when need be as opposed to keeping up at all times. A big part of selective ignorance is learning to let things wait. For example, email. So email is the single largest acceptable interruption in modern life. And it's a very convenient way of simulating forward motion without accomplishing anything. It shouldn't be a workspace, it's a tool. And one of the easiest methods I've seen for controlling email, and one that's become quite popular in Silicon Valley, is setting up a simple autoresponder, much like a vacation autoresponse, that says something like the following. Dear all, in an effort to actually get work done, I'm testing a new email policy. I'm checking and responding to email only twice a day at 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Pacific time or whatever your time zone happens to be. If you need a response before one of these two times for anything urgent, please call me on my cell phone. Thanks for understanding this move to greater effectiveness and efficiency, whatever your name is. This gives you the breathing room, finally, to single task and focus on completing the mission-critical tasks, the critical few, from start to finish without interruption. Ooh, what a call. Uh, What a siren uh, to taking control of how you work. I think what uh, you were mentioning, Mark, with Pareto's Law is exactly what Tim addresses here we've let email take over the show and it's time to take back the reins. Uh, we got to step in there and say, whoa, 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 let's have a batch process for email. Let's take control. Email is not going to dictate what is our priority. It shall be us. And Mark, if I zoom out of this, I think what he's really saying is don't let all of these modern tools and technology become the work because just in the same way people think being outraged on social media is them making a contribution. No, no, you've got to actually do something if you want to change the world. And I think it's the same here in a personal lens. If you want to realize your dreams and hopes and aspirations, you've got to take control of the situation. And that starts with batching your email, structuring your day, structuring your time, focusing on the things you were born to do rather than just tit for tat, email, ping pong. Um, This speaks to me so much. I mean, I can't tell you, Mark, the attention I put into, and I don't get it right all the time, but just batching email, um, one batch in the morning, one batch in the middle of the day, and then one one big batch um, before I, I wrap up for the day. I think there's a real learning here, which is we can make the mistake of thinking because we're on the mail and we're responding and pushing things around. They're actually being productive. But the, the, the reading and sending of email is not actually work itself, but we think it is, right? Oh, 100%. This, this speaks to me so much, this, this tip and this um, you know, lesson that, that Tim's suggesting that we learn from. And it reminds me of, of blocking time, you know, blocking mm. time in your day to really focus on some deep 
work. And Mike, as you know, I'm a big fan of blocking out my calendar, focusing on one thing at a time. And this lesson from Tim Ferriss speaks to me so much. Mm. Not only block your time to work on projects and so on, block time to do your emails, get them out of the way, close down that tab, close down that, that software, and then get into the work. Because you're right, it yeah. isn't doing the work when you're replying to emails. Mm. Back is Tim's calling out. It's just a tool. It's a yeah. tool that enables us to get from point A to point B. But actually, mm. the, the juicy details and the real creativity and innovation gets done outside of them. So this for me is one big green tick. This is something I'm going to start doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, let things wait. You set the priorities because anyone in a modern job is going to be so uh, slacked, text messaged, iMessaged, emailed, you name it there's just going to be a bombardment of notifications, emails. The only, the only sensible way to respond is filter, take mm. control. And I think this is a real challenge to us um, when we think about where we're spending our attention and how we're managing our workflow. But Tim's not quite finished yet in challenging some of our working assumptions on how we spend our time and where we put our attention. Uh, this next clip that we've got is really thinking um, and evaluating the things you do through a lens of time and what he goes on to challenge us to do is to start outsourcing. The third important tool I'd like to mention and one of my personal favorites is outsourcing life. To get started though, we first need to replace the very obsolete concept of annual income, which is a very deceptive metric with hourly income. And people are generally extremely hesitant to delegate or outsource because they feel they can do something free themselves. This is very inaccurate. So let's start with a very basic calculation of hourly time. If you make, let's say, $50,000 per year, you cut off the last three zeros, value to 50, and you divide that in half and you get 25. So you make $25 an hour. This is assuming you get two weeks off per year and you're working 40 hours per week. So let's just say on the very high end that you can hire a personal assistant at $30 per hour to handle one workday of eight hours. So your cost per hour is then $5. So his or her 30 minus your 25. That means $40 for a full eight-hour day of freedom. So this also means that you can take a three-day weekend every week and it will cost you $40 per week. I hire virtual assistants around the world, which only takes a few hours to help me with just about everything from business research to reading email, cutting hundreds of email down to four or five that I actually have to deal with, to travel, product development, purchasing, planning parties, even online dating. There are a lot of unorthodox and creative uses. Personal outsourcing is only limited by your imagination, and the return on investment is astounding, 400 500%, even for someone who makes $30,000, $40,000 a year. Well, it's, it's again, such a great practical tip from, from Tim Ferriss here. Mm. The idea of outsourcing your life, delegating it, finding virtual assistance to, to weigh in and manage. Mm. Maybe it's your diary, your emails, production, whatever it might be. I, I think it's such a, again, a, a bit of a confrontational or challenging um, tip from, from Tim Ferriss that I think would undeniably have a positive impact. I think mm. it would be so valuable to do. Um, but it's a bit of a challenge, right, Mike? Well, well, it is. And it's a beautiful follow-on from the Eisenhower Matrix because part of this Eisenhower Matrix is delegation, right? Mm. Or as Tim would call it, outsource it. And I think that I tell you this, there's this thought that came to my mind as we're listening to him. And, and it's like this. I want to, I want to look at the symptom that I think most of us can relate to, which is, oh my gosh, I have so much work to do. Right. Yeah. And do you have this feeling? Yeah. Oh yeah. Regularly. And, and yeah. you know, I have to catch myself because I think I, I think I know where you're going. <laughs> and then, then you're like, 
oh, you're making all these trade-offs of, okay, well, I'm going to finish the week. What is like the, the, the minimum I can get done and survive for the next week, right? That's, that's how it feels for a lot of us. And, you know, we, there are ebbs and flows, but I think you could characterize the life of the modern uh, knowledge worker is that we're doing so much more, can, we're so much more productive than other generations uh, that we get so many messages that we're, we're, we're just trying to keep our head above water, right? Sure. Yep. So what happens is we start doing this thing where we work incredible hours, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you're like just kind of falling over the finish line on Friday. Maybe we've even got this terrible habit that work is now getting into Saturday and Sunday too, but we're getting into this bit where there's just so much to do and there's not enough time, right? Now, the first thing that Tim is asking us to do is eliminate the things that should be that are not important, not urgent, um, focus on the information and the attention that really matters. And then he come, brings us back now in this clip and he's saying, okay, well, there are things that you can delegate that you can outsource. And here's where I think we really get to the essence of what we can take from Tim Ferriss. And I want to come back to this story I was telling like, okay, you've worked so hard Monday through Friday you feel like you're just keeping your head above water. You don't feel like you're leading the way. You're just keeping up. Is that a feeling you think you could characterize for yourself, Mark, and that many of our listeners could could relate to? I, th- I think that's probably a feeling that that myself, as well as probably many others, can yeah. um, can believe. Yep, have experienced. And, and it's crazy, right? Because you're sitting there going, "I've worked like crazy. I've worked maybe ten. 11, 12 hour days, back to back to back. And I'm just managing to keep up. I mean, that's, that's just exhausting when you think about it, right? Oh, that, absolutely. It's exhausting. And, you know, I think as an observation, it's probably one of those things that our listeners, uh, if they've experienced it before, you do, you, you naturally uh, ask yourself the question, is it worth it? Right. And, and then, and then the, cause the thing is you work like crazy and you're like, You've just kind of fallen over the finish line. You're like, oh, well, that didn't feel great. So I think it's at this point that Tim turns up and says, well, hang on a second. You know, you should be spending your time on the things that matter, filtering and so forth. But what he's also doing is find the things that might be, say, not urgent but important and ask yourself, can I train somebody else to do it for me? And this is where things change, don't it? Doesn't it, Mark? This is the moment where you're like, "Oh, hang on." Yeah, I mean, basically, what he's what he's kind of saying is, "Wouldn't it be great if you had a double of yourself?" Imagine having mm-hmm. two people doing the work. What could you do? One of you could focus on priority. The other one could focus on the things that you delegated, as per the Eisenhower matrix. Yes, and he's calling it out as quite a practical thing that we can go and do, which I think actually it is. And here's where I think what we all suffer from. We, we say, oh, I've got two choices. Either I can do it now and get it done quickly, or I can invest more time to brief and delegate properly, keyword, properly to someone, so that in the long term it's much more efficient. And I think the mistake we all make or we tend to make most of the time is we go, uh, I'll just do it because it's quicker, which is great in the short term, terrible, absolutely terrible in the long term, isn't it? Oh, and look, I am definitely one of those people whose natural reaction is, oh, I'll just do it. Give me the keyboard or give me the mouse. I'll go and do this. I'll pick up the phone. But you're right. If you brief somebody properly, and again, let's really focus on that word, Mm. spend the time and actually brief them properly, it will alleviate things in the long run. And if anything, it'll make you more efficient and probably mean that the work you're doing is better because of it. Absolutely. Now, here's the thing. Let's just do the math here. If you invest in spending a couple of hours to train someone to pick up a task that maybe takes only 30 minutes, in the short term, the task only takes 30 minutes 
but you spend four sets of 30 minutes, i.e. two hours, to brief them properly, to document it, to take them through it, to check in and make sure they understand it. It only takes four instances of that task to occur and you've actually already squared away and got your return on investment on your time spent. And then after that, when they successfully do the task for you, it's all profit after that because they're doing it now, not you. All profit. You're already seeing yourself with more time on your hands. Right. So it's a a question of asking yourself, what's like a repetitive, uh, non-urgent task that I can delegate to somebody and over time, for the medium and long-term, enjoy the return because it's freeing up my time. Because imagine if you said to your case, Mark, you could spend an hour less a day on email. Here's where we find our motivation. I want you to imagine what you could be doing with that time. Imagine that. (laughs) Right? I could be be encouraging our moonshot listeners to leave ratings and reviews. (laughs) (laughs) amongst other things, amongst other things. But the point here is what Tim says is like, at at what point are you going to take the time to outsource or to delegate? And I think if we just were to think about, oh, if I wasn't doing that, what could I be doing of higher value? I think this is where I found the motivation to do it. So the blocker, the blocker is taking the time to brief properly. Here is my golden tip that I try to embody is that, and you've seen me do this at work, Mark, when I want to delegate an activity or a task, particularly if it's uh, technology-based, do you know what I do? I make a video where I record my screen and I give a voiceover to the thing that I'm doing and then I send the person that I'm delegating to a full brief and description of the, you know, recurring task. Plus I give them video that they can constantly come back to. And this was my huge um, breakthrough is we often, you know, we will sit on the phone and tell someone a thing, but then it's like, there's a lot of information being shared and you can't return to the conversation. So I found providing a video walkthrough of a screen capture or something similar to this so they have an asset they can, can replay to themselves two or three times is an invaluable way of delegating because so much of what we do is probably a browser-based task that you can just record what you're doing in the browser with a voiceover and they can continually come back. It's not like if they didn't take the note in the, in the chat, then the, the information is lost. They can just return to the video and play it a couple of times. And I think this is a huge accelerator to outsourcing and delegating. What do you yeah, think? I, I 100% agree. I think having the, the asset that you can refer back to actually, again, saves you time. You won't have to reiterate or revisit any of those initial delegation moments mm. because you spend the time initially to create an asset that can be reviewed on YouTube or yes, on, yes. Uh, on an email, um, in, an e- in a movie attachment, whatever it might be. I think that's a real aha moment, you know, creating that screen capture. Cause you're right. It saves a lot of time for the individual who's picking up the work as well, because they can refer back to it at that's any time. Right. Yeah. Now here's the thing. Um, why does taking either a voice memo or a video screen grab, why does this work so well? It's because when you're delegating, you're essentially taking one task that you have learned And you're giving it to someone else who needs to learn it. Now, how do we learn? We learn through the doing. So just because you get on a call and you tell someone, this is what I want you to do, they'll take notes, but it's not until they attempt to do it themselves that they'll start to incur um, barriers or things they don't understand or how does this work? If you've provided the video rather than them ringing you up a couple of days later and saying, I'm sorry, I don't understand or doing the task incorrectly, they can refer back to the video as they are trying to actually do the task so they can learn through the doing. And I think this is really profound. I think too often we think one call, that's it. 
people have got it, they're off and racing. But that's not the fact. People learn through doing. So give them an asset that they can refer to and they go, oh, okay, I'll go back to the 12 minutes and 30 seconds in the video where he's doing this complex thing on the screen. And then you can slow it down and pause it and go, okay, I'm going to try that. I mean, Mark, have you ever had this thing where you're doing a a YouTube uh, how-to video and you pause it, try and do what they do, right? Yeah, totally. It's, it's all the time. It's so, so valuable. You know, it's, it's, it guarantees, it gives you the confidence that you're doing it correctly. Exactly. So that's why how-to videos are so popular on YouTube. So I guess what I'm really saying to wrap this up is make your own how-to video for whatever task you're outsourcing or delegating in your life, be it professional or personal, give all of the context in a captured asset so people can keep coming back to it as they're trying to learn it from you. I think this is such a good way to make outsourcing and delegation easier, to make it quicker, more efficient. A fantastic build on, I think, Tim Ferriss's key lessons there. Great. Yep. Learning out loud. That's what it's all about, Mark. Now, just to kind of recap, we've got, you know, three big thoughts that he's given us about, you know, eliminating things that don't matter, filtering on information and putting your attention towards the things that do outsourcing and delegating things um, to others that makes sense. I think this is a, a great platform. And I think what it does now is it kind of forces us to uh, ask this big question about, well, okay, then, well, then where do we spend our time? Now, before we play that clip, I think we should encourage our listeners, Mark, don't you, to go spend their time at a certain destination. There's a certain very popular destination online that you can all go and visit, our dear listeners, moonshots.io. On this site, you'll find all of our latest episodes. Once Tim Ferriss' four-hour workweek goes live, that's 95 shows, all available, not only in your podcasting app of choice, but moonshots.io online. You can also find our show notes and transcripts for all of the shows, including the Eisenhower Matrix, as well as Reed Hastings' Culture Deck. You'll even find a lot of mantras, mantras that we've been inspired by from our innovators and some of the key lessons that they've taught us. You can also sign up for our newsletter to be notified when the latest episode goes live and also follow our blog too. So moonshots.io is where all of our information is really housed. So go and check it out and let us know what you think. And uh, just as a bit of a tease, we have our 100th centenary show coming up. On moonshots.io, we have published our favorite innovators that we're going to study together. So I encourage all of you to go to moonshots.io and you'll see what's in store for our very special 100th show. But we're now coming back to Tim Ferriss and the four-hour work week. We're thinking about where to spend our time. And the great news for us is that Tim Ferriss has some great advice on how to spend time on the things that are most profitable. Just reiterate then what the premise of the book is. So, so the, premise of the, book, the premise of the book, I would say there, there are two premises. The first is that um, the objective is not busyness. So uh, massive action without clearly defined objectives is a form of laziness. And secondly, that the deferred life plan, so to speak, that is a retirement-based life plan, uh, long-haul career planning, after which you redeem all the experiences you want to have, the possessions you want to own, is fundamentally flawed. Uh, And I don't think it's very difficult for people to argue with the logic. It's It's easy to attack me. Okay, he's 30 years old, doesn't have any kids, what does this guy know? Uh, well, well we're, we're accused of being too nice to our guests, so Robert and I have decided we are going to attack yeah, you. Yeah, attack me. But then we read about the kickboxing stuff. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so, um, so, so we let the chat room do it. <laughs> yeah, you let the chat room do it. And, and that's fine. I mean, if, if yeah. people want to attack me, if, if we all had the same opinion, the world would be a very boring place. But let's just take personal outsourcing as an yeah. example. I can't do it. I have a boss. I'd get fired. Okay. Uh, First of all, I don't distinguish between work 
our business and personal time in so much as if you're misspending that time, whether it's on household chores on the weekend when you've put in 80 hours from Monday to Friday, or uh, checking email to simulate forward motion as opposed to defining your measurable objectives, those are both waste of time. So if you have a job and there's absolutely no way you can apply uh, outsourcing that job, which we can question in a second, that still means, let's say your son has a birthday party on Sunday, he wants the equivalent of this season's Tickle Me Elmo, which is impossible to find, rather than spending your entire Saturday uh, going from store to store over, let's say, a period of five hours to find the toy, you could call or email Ask Sunday. go to AskSunday.com, and for 40 to $50 a month, have 30 inquiries, this would be one. You call them, you say, here's my zip code, call every toy store within a 10-mile radius, find this toy, make a reservation, or purchase it using my credit card, and have it held behind the counter. Call me when it's ready, tell me where to pick it up. And that would save you four to five hours, right? So let's just say that you make $50,000 a year. Um, there are a number of ways you can go about it, but an easy way to approximate your per hour income is if you work 40 hours a week and get two weeks of vacation years to cut off the last three zeros and chop that remaining number in half. So that would mean that if you make $50,000 a year, you make roughly $25 an hour. Okay, so if you can, for $40, get, let's say, 30 inquiries, this one inquiry alone on a weekend saves you four to five hours. Well, that's, let's say, 100 to $125 profit in time currency that you've gained. Uh, and wow. the goal is not, again, to get from 80 to four hours. I don't believe and never claim that someone can do that overnight. Uh, and most people, if they enjoy their work, would never want to get to four hours. Uh, so the objective is to spend time on the things that are most profitable or most enjoyable. And uh, for some people, let's say those are pastors, writers, teachers, it's not being inactive. That's never the objective. I work my ass off on things that I care about. I spend, I'm a very, very busy guy, as you know, yeah. but on things that I choose to spend my time on. Uh, those people, let's say a pastor who suffers from, uh, let's say, emotional fatigue, sympathy fatigue, his objective will simply be to reduce the volume of work so that he can be most effective. Um, and whether it's using Ask Sunday or simply uh, training yourself to check email at set times so that it doesn't become a reactive, uh, disorganized approach. It's a good, it's a good summarization clip there. It's going over a lot of the key lessons that we've learned. And most importantly, it's Tim calling out that it doesn't necessarily happen overnight. He's not necessarily saying you want to get down to four hour week because you want to clock off and go to the pub mm, oh. <laughs> or go and, you know, go and play sport all the time. Instead, it's reduce the amount of time that you're being inefficient and ineffective with and instead reappropriate or reprioritize uh, it into something that's either more enjoyable or more important. And for me, you know, one of the key clips or key moments in the clip is right actually at the very beginning where Tim's calling out massive inaction sorry, massive action without objective is mm. a form of laziness. And, yeah. you know, if, if we dig into that for a second, it's the idea that everything can change. You can change the way that you react to being overwhelmed with emails. I'm being, so me, I'm calling myself out here. I'm being lazy at not reappropriating the way that I interact with emails. Yes, I'm doing the same thing day in, day out but I'm complaining about it perhaps, or I'm calling it out on Moonshot's podcast. <laughs> but actually, I'm being lazy. What I should be doing is, as Tim Ferriss is calling out here, test and learn. Test with a couple of different, maybe softwares or a couple of different time-blocking mechanics mm. and get better at it. And that's, I think, the real key thing that Tim's calling out in that clip. What do you think? Yeah, he, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. And I would say that there was one word that he used in that clip that I think really is the shift. Uh, and that word is choice. He's saying it is your choice to spend your time where you believe it is most effective, as opposed to what many of us struggle with, which is spending our time with things that we don't choose to spend our time and effort with. So he is forcing us 
he is confronting us and saying, well, there's only one person that can solve this situation and it's yourself. So you must take the steps. Number one, do the 80-20 rule. Number two, process your information and not everything is both important and urgent and wherever you can outsource and delegate so you can spend more time on the things that are profitable or that bring you joy. That is what he is saying. It is a choice. Uh, this We are not victims. It's a choice. And I think this is a, a, a very, very, once you process this, you're like, damn it, right. I'm batching my email as of now. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, again, it's t- t- the Tim Ferriss's book is part inspiration and part practical tips, isn't it? It is. You know, it is. He's calling out these truths and then saying, ah, well, here's a quick idea. Why don't you go and do this? Mm, mm. Yeah, perfect. Batching yep. email. I love that. I'm going to give that yep. a go. Yep. He's, he's just making us aware we've all got some bad habits and thank goodness he's not only giving us tools uh, to kind of fix that, but I think he's giving us inspiration. And um, I want to play this last clip now, um, which helps us really put this piece of work, the four-hour work week by Tim Ferriss, it helps us put it in context. So for the last time on this show, let's take a listen to Tim Ferriss talking about unplugging and resetting. The four-hour work week is possible, but you need to completely unplug and reset. And the reason that's necessary is because there is an epidemic, and I do mean epidemic in this country, of information abuse and information addiction, where people have come to believe that checking email 200 times per day, having a Blackberry to your head or in your hand while you're at dinner or on the subway or in your car or with your friends is the path to becoming more productive and more successful. You mean it isn't? Uh, It isn't, because giving everyone around you, every person in the world, immediate access to you is inviting interruption and inviting minutia to completely invade your life which is happening to everyone. Did it happen to you? It did happen to me. I had no intention of writing this book, but from 2000 to 2004, I was working at startups in Silicon Valley. I started my own, I was CEO, and I worked from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. I checked Outlook, hitting send receive 100 to 200 times per day, like a a rat with a cocaine pellet dispenser. (laughs) Slept under my cubicle, sent emails on Thanksgiving to prospects. It was a depressing, scene. And it's a very, unfortunately, common scene. And I think everyone is at a point of overwhelm. There is more information than we can possibly organize. Time management is dead. There's a, well, how do you turn that, turn that around? The way you turn around is you have to completely unplug and reset. That means that you need to take a step back, forget about what people expect you to do, forget about what's popular, and really look at what works and what is consuming your time. So there are four steps. There's definition, elimination, automation, and liberation. Definition is simple. First, you need to define your ideal lifestyle. What do you want to be doing from when you wake up to when you go to sleep? And so what do you want to have? What do you want to be? What do you want to do? And how much does that ideal lifestyle cost? And that becomes your target. Elimination is simple. It's getting rid of everything, all the static, all the noise, all the interruptions, all the micromanaging, all the people possible that interfere with getting you to that ideal lifestyle. The third automation is about taking the few remaining tasks that are important but time-consuming and either delegating, automating, or somehow outsourcing them. So in my particular case, I have an army of MBAs in India, about 25 of them who work for $4 an hour and take care of tasks that would otherwise consume hundreds of my hours. And then the last step, liberation, is about the final ingredient in lifestyle design, which is mobility, and then also how to use the time once you create it, which is very difficult for most people. Okay, this is fascinating, but that's the point. It is difficult. I mean, how do you put the BlackBerry down? Aren't you worried that you're not going to make as much money, that you're going to lose clients? Do you have statistics that show that that's not the case? I have statistics that would absolutely make your head spin. So if you're interrupted by email and phone, there was an experiment done at King's King's College, for example, that showed that people who were stoned scored six points better on an IQ test than people who were interrupted by email and phone. 
Wow. And that good to know. Good to know. Twenty-six percent of people in the American workforce are on the verge of a nervous breakdown. The system is not working. So it's not a question of of if I should do this. It's a question of when. It is the only real alternative. So one simple step that people can take, a baby step to prove the concept, is to simply use an autoresponder. Set up an autoresponder that tells everyone who emails you. I will be checking email twice a day. That's a great idea. At 11 and 4 p.m. Uh-huh. If you require a more urgent response before one of those two times, call me on my cell phone. Okay, if I start losing customers, I'm going to call you, Tim. You can call me. Okay. What's going to happen instead of losing customers is you'll get more done in the next 48 hours than you would in the next two weeks. I mean, talk about a way to bring the show all around. The four key lessons that we've covered, Mike, throughout the four-hour um, today in today's episode 95, it's exactly what we've been talking about. you got to define the inefficiencies, identify what the priority should be, eliminate those that you can do without, outsource or delegate where possible, and then you'll be liberated. You'll be able to start using that time more efficiently and mm. using it in a way that ultimately is better value for not only you, but if you think about it for those around you too, whether it's family, friends, or we work. And it's, it, was a, it was a good wake-up moment for me, especially in that last clip, this information pandemic or information abuse, I think he calls it. It's exactly how I feel. There's so much with emails and contact. Mm-hmm. So just time blocking or, or block emailing and therefore keeping your plate clean and able to deep dive into other work. It's such an easy, I think, uh, a potentially easy maybe, way to, to move on from today onwards. Yeah, and I, I think what we really hope in learning out loud together with all of our listeners is, you know, I think we've really tried to share with everyone that we and everyone is suffering from this same overload of information, right? Um, But here's the thing. If we use some of the methods that Tim is talking about, if we focus on what our natural abilities make us best at, if we take control of the inbox, these are all ways in which we can have choices about how we spend our time. And that directly relates to us fulfilling our potential because it's the things we work on, those are the things that shall become true. And if we don't spend our time doing what we were born to do, if we're otherwise distracted, then the key thing where it really starts with, it's on us. So if we accept that it's our choice to get ourselves out of this, he's presenting to us this roadmap, which starts with unplugging, and resetting. And the crazy thing is he wrote this book 10, 15 years ago and you listen to it now and it's like he could he could have recorded that this morning, couldn't he? Yeah, it's still so true. It's always right? true and it's still, particularly now when people are working remotely, regularly working from home more frequently, this is a way to save your your social versus work life. It's It, it seems so... Um, Black and white, really. Mm. So, yeah, Mark, I, I, I get the feeling you might be implementing a little bit of a batching program for the email. Would that be a, a deduction? I, I want to I want to build on Tim Ferriss's test and learn approach and do it myself. I, I think he's got so many truths here that I can, I'm not only inspired by, but I can actually go and practically put into action. So I think, I've, I've learned a lot, Mike, from uh, the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. It's good, right? It's really good. Well, I hope, uh, that, uh, you find all sorts of all little, uh, small discrete tests and experiments you can do, uh, with your inbox and, and many more things. Uh, thanks to Tim Ferriss. Hey, and listen, Mark, thanks to you for sharing with me and all of our listeners uh, it's been a bit of a ride, the old uh, four-hour work week, a bit, of a, a bit of a bucket of cold water on the face, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great uh, confrontation as well as reminder that we can all choose how we use our time. Yeah, powerful stuff. 
Okay, well, Mark, thank you. Thank you to you and thank you to all of our listeners that seem to be popping up in all sorts of amazing places all around the world. We thank you for your ears, your attention. We thank you for all your support, your reviews and ratings. And we really hope that today we've given you a little bit of a wake-up call on how you spend your time. And we hope that whether it's the 80-20 rule or outsourcing and delegating or using the Eisenhower matrix, we hope that you have found a way to improve how you spend your time and focus on the things that you were naturally born to do, the things that you find your flow within. And if you need to, you can go and unplug and reset and there's no better place to do that than here together on the Moonshots podcast. That's a wrap.